Welcome back to the Great Work Podcast. Today we have Nick. You all know Nick from TikTok. Nick is one of the first people that you all actually recommended I follow. And I'm so glad you recommended it to him to me because he just has so much knowledge. I, I mean, really, what is there to say about Nick? I really enjoyed our conversation kind of, I wanted this to be like a war 101, but as these things go, we kind of went off on tangents and you'll see on TikTok now, I'm doing my series on war 101 and I'll have another video coming out about that this week. Um, but I hope you guys really enjoy this discussion. Nick talks a lot about Israel. He knows a ton about Israel and we talk a ton about that in this episode, but you'll also kind of get to know him a little bit. He talks about his military background, which I think is really interesting. He rarely talks about that, at least like when I hear him talking. And I I found it really, really interesting. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode and let's get into it. All right, welcome to the Great Work Podcast. Today we have Nick. You guys all know him from TikTok. You guys know him as being the, yeah, you guys know him as being the one of the premier college world debate people. But um, he actually has a really cool background too um, that I, I'm excited to hear about. So, do you want to explain kind of your background? Like, I know you were in the military. Do you want to explain otherwise? Like, why do you care so much about Israel? That kind of stuff. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so yes, I was in the military. I served in the United States Navy for just under 12 years. I served on fast-track submarines. I did nuclear engineering. Today, I'm still an engineer, but I do more of like inspection side. Uh, I'd done enough operations in my life, added years to my life. Um, so I served in three different fast attacks, and that was the USS Hampton, USS Cheyenne, and the USS Annapolis at the end of my career. And pretty much, long story short, fast attack submarines, it sounds exactly what they're supposed to. There's different types of submarines. Fast attacks are, well, they're generally faster. Get in, get out, do certain missions, tracking, etc. Uh, we had VLS systems, dealt with a lot of rockets. Uh, the second boat I served on was the first to strike boat in Iraq. And also, I believe they, uh, in the time, was in Libya as well. <clears throat> so, with uh, your second question about what got me into talking about Israel... It's actually kind of silly uh, looking back on it. I was on TikTok and I was on my way very quickly to about 100,000 followers. So I was getting at the end there like 10,000 followers a week. And I wasn't talking about Israel at all. I was talking about contemporary news, sometimes political news, etc. And then May 2021 happened where Hamas launched the first 4,500 to about 5,000 rockets into Israel. And... I saw a lot of people just make claims about, uh, at the time, a lot of people were using Black Lives Matter in their bio, excuse me. And a lot of people just stopped putting that in their bio. They almost completely replaced it. And they started talking about the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, etc. I, my first video was mostly a bit of a joke video. Just like, did you guys just stop caring about the other one? Started to get a little bit of eight. And people would start to say, well, what, you know, where do you stand? Oh, why don't you talk about it? And so I said, no, I'm pro-Israel. Like, I've, I've always been. Uh, why? I mean, going back as far as when I was a kid, I remember my dad who raised me. I don't know my real father. Uh, the dad that raised me is Samoan, right? He raised me since I was one years old. When he came to America, he loved history, especially American history. He instilled historical values into me very young. So I developed love for history. When Israel was in the news, which it does time to time, he would tell me, 
we need to support Israel, right? Always. Now, as a kid, I'm going to be honest with you. That didn't mean anything to me. I was like, sure, whatever, dad. Because I didn't even know what Israel was. I couldn't even have told you probably what a Jewish person was when I was a kid, let alone uh, the fact of a Jewish state. But it stuck with me. And then when I started to develop and learn a lot of history, high school, and then when I went to college, I ended up taking way more historical classes than I needed to. Uh, to the point my counselor was even taught, I mean, you don't need these. Because I was going to college for chemical engineering at the time. But I loved history. So... On top of that, I remember when I first got, this is the same time, when I first got my first tattoo, which on my chest, an American flag over my art. I remember the guy that did the tattoo, he shook my hand at the end, and I saw right on his knuckles, S-K-I-N, and I realized he was a skinhead. And I noticed on his page, I think it was either Facebook or MySpace at the time, a lot of not-so-nice things, right? Not just towards Jewish people, but minorities in general. And I noticed a lot of my who I thought I knew, people that I knew in college also were friends with this guy and they had like a little group. And I, I cut myself off completely. I was like, that, that's horrible stuff. Right. And so I knew anti Semitism existed. But where I grew up, there wasn't particularly a lot of Jews or it wasn't Jewish neighborhood. So I didn't know it that well. Right. I just knew it existed. So circling back to my TikTok, I, you know, start making videos. I get a lot of hate. And people thought I was Jewish. Right. Because there's no way I could be supporting Israel on TikTok unless I was Jewish. So I started getting DMs after DMs, anti-Semitism, pictures of Hitler. Uh, I wish the Austrian painters back, all this stuff. And that's when I realized I knew anti-Semitism existed. Like I said, I did not know how much it existed until people thought I was Jewish. And so what became just a hobby of doing TikTok videos, talking about what's on the news, Sometimes I take weeks of breaks because it, it just I, did, I didn't actually care so much about it. I started to develop a care for it. I loved doing it. And standing up for Israel was important to me. Now, I already knew more than the average American did. But compared to how much I know now, I would if I got into a debate with my four-year-old self, destroy him. <laughs> I started to learn more, right? Now people would challenge me and I'm like, I don't know that, right? So I would do the research. And sometimes I would for days write stuff page by page, learning and learning and writing so I could make a 30-second video. And so I learned more, and then I started to read books about it, Zionist books, anti-Zionist books, and it just kept going, and I snowballed. I met Danielle, my fiancé now. A lot of people are like, oh, do you do this because of your fiancé? Like, she forces me to do it or something? I didn't even meet her until after I already started talking about this stuff. And then I met Hebrew Ammer. He was... uh one of the first creators I met, we became really good friends, and I started to develop a community. I got banned, right, to near 80,000 followers because talking about Israel and against anti-Semitism, I guess, is a problem for TikTok. And so when I made a new account, it wasn't the other 80,000 people that were following me that came to my new account. It was a lot of the Jewish and uh, Israelis that came to follow me, give me support. And I actually enjoy talking about it. I enjoy learning about it. There's a deep history, right? Because Israeli history is both old and young at the same time. And I think that that really um, inspires me to learn more and talk about it more. Plus, the hate that it gets, it's it's so crazy that it's so easy to just debunk if you just took some time to actually study and learn some of the context. And by no means do I think Israel is perfect or it's never done no wrong. But nothing, no one has ever been able to convince me why I'm not on the right side of history of standing with the fact that the Jewish people have a right to self-determine 
in their indigenous culture. Awesome. Yeah, that's a really interesting background. It's interesting. Yeah, like I never realized the amount of anti-Semitism either. I'm not Jewish. I made one video. It went viral. And I was like, oh, God, like this is this is a real thing. You know, like this is crazy. And I was like, you know, it's it's annoying to me because not that it annoys me, but it annoys me that like a Jewish follower might see it on my page. And I don't like that's what makes me sad. But then I was kind of like, okay, well, if you guys can't help yourself, you know what I mean, to make these anti-Semitic comments, at least make them to me because they don't offend me as much. But then it just makes me so sad for the people who get them all the time because it's just um, I, I you're right. I never realized what a problem it is. And it's a it's a big one. So I'm glad that like people I mean, obviously, Jewish people need to stand up for themselves. But I, I it's good, too, that others also stand with Israel who don't have the time there because this PR war is kind of nuts right now. Listen, most evil things uh, throughout history uh, are not large in number, right? Uh, including whether we're talking about the Holocaust of the Nazis, uh, we're talking about hate today in the past, modern history. It's never large in number. It's the people that stand by and don't do anything, right? Or the people that maybe uh, don't join in with it per, per se, but they they support it still, okay? Or even silently support it. The, the Jewish people are... They have an amazing culture, and they're an amazing people that they invest in themselves, they help each other out, they lift each other up. But we have to remember, Jewish people are 15, 16 million people in the world. That is not a lot. Now, sometimes people get surprised by that number because of the amount of impact that Jewish people have had in the world. They do amazing things. They've invented amazing things. They do a lot. They have a, a beautiful culture. But in the end, 16 million people, or almost 16 million, it's not a lot. So I... I went from a point of, I do this because I do care, I, I like the history, but I've gotten to a point where I'm like, no, 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 I think it's a requirement for some people uh, who are not Jewish to do. And I'm not saying that means I should think people should be forced to do it. No, if someone really is like, look, I just don't care about this, or I don't care about what's happening in the Middle East, fair enough. I, I'm not going to judge you any differently. But if you can, and if it really sticks with you like it does me, then I think it, there's a certain responsibility to actually do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Just I think with all things, if you know more than the average person and there's I'll call it confusion, but I don't think that this is really confusion. I think it, you have a duty to share that with the world to alleviate confusion because the hate that the state of Israel is getting causes confusion with the average person who doesn't know better and if they can come across your video or my video and watch the two minutes and kind of learn something that's kind of all that matters i think and then i think another place that people have a lot of confusion around that i'm excited to dive into is just what war is in general right so we see all the time now i i think that no one understands what what is a war is it just can war be just i War is probably, in my opinion, like morally neutral. I think I'm a political realist. I kind of believe that like governments are just extensions of people. People have a propensity for violence sometimes. So a government would just organize that, I don't know, not violence, but that use of force in within a chain of command when it needs to be used. War started to take over territories and stuff like that, show how 
big people are in the modern day, it's much different. It's more about protecting and we can, I mean, in America, it's I find, represented, but. Right. I find that uh, a lot of the people who want to scream injustice and want to say that, oh, all of this stuff is bad. In this case, we're talking about war, but it doesn't stop at war. They're also come from a group that benefits most from it or has benefited from the most from it. And they seem to utilize it as a mind game to try to make you buzzwords, shutting down people, right? If they don't agree with you and you don't stick with their agenda, they will use words to attempt to make you feel bad, right? Even if the words don't fit, they want to make you feel bad so they can shut you up. They want to stop you because if they can call you a genocider, a racist bigot, a warmonger, uh, you just want everyone dead that's not on your side. If they can say these things to you, even if they're laughable because you're like, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> but if they can say it to you, now all of a sudden you're the bad guy. And that's what they want to do. They want to affect your emotions so that way you will stop talking about it. It's a classic manipulation attempt to shut you right. up. Right. And that's a really good point that like they're the people who benefit most from it because they they do. They it it totally makes sense that they just have misrepresented what war or conflict is in general, as if if we stopped in the West being involved in war that it would stop worldwide. That's crazy. It's, it's- there's there's a um great quote from a Minal Vana recipient. He said that he was talking about the United States. But I think it applies nonetheless. He said, uh, we don't want war. But, you know, if you want war with the United States of America, I promise you someone else will be raising your children right? or your sons and daughters. It's it's true. that War is not something people uh, conflict warmongering with somebody who uh, does understand the concept of war. Warmongering does exist for sure. That doesn't mean everyone that understands the concepts of war or understands why a war is happening, regardless if we're talking about Israel-Palestine. That's not the same thing as warmongering. Some people just understand that things sometimes are needed. If October 6th, right, with this war in Israel and Gaza, October 6th, if October 7th was like October 6th, October 8th would have never happened. If the IDF puts down their weapons, which we, we, we hear this a lot, right? Everyone's heard this. If Hamas puts down their weapons, nothing changes. If the IDF puts down their weapons, Israel gets attacked. Israel gets wiped off the map. And people would be like, that's a ridiculous comparison. But we saw a glimpse of it on October 7th, did we not? IDF, which there should be an investigation with this after when the fog of war is gone, IDF was not in those areas, right? There was, there was, there was definitely a failure on Israel's part. I'm sorry if that offends the pro-Israelis, but there was. We saw the glimpse of the IDF putting down their weapons. Obviously, you know, there was a response, so it's not the general uh, question itself. But we saw what would happen when the IDF is not particularly there to defend the Jewish people and Israel is when we're talking about in Israel. Hamas, they went, did what they did, and they kept going. If there was nothing, if the IDF was gone, they would have kept going. It's not like they were like, yeah, I'm getting kind of tired. And then they just like went back. They kept going until the point that they either were arrested or killed. That brings me to... I. I don't know if you know A.K. Kamara from TikTok, but I've known him for 
10 years almost, he makes like political content, um, like news content a lot. And he was talking about like, let's just explain this like a bar fight. If you've ever gotten into a bar fight and there's someone really dead set on hurting you, it is almost impossible to get them to stop hurting you without hurting them or trying punching back and that's kind of what war is you know like and there's this weird there's this weird in the middle frame here i won't get too into american politics but like right now we're we're being attacked on our bases in iraq and syria and we're just saying well we'll just evacuate people and we'll just leave well no because then we're telling iran every time you want us to leave somewhere just attack up attack us 150 times and maybe in that we're maybe in that case we're not smart enough or i don't know we don't defend ourselves well enough to not have massive casualties on the u.s side and now we and now we're in a full-on conflict with iran so there has to be this balance of you can't have all-out war all the time but at the same time if we don't fight back when people provoke us then we're inviting further conflict and if israel didn't fight back right now if they tried to have a handshake deal with hamas if, if we gave if they gave hamas something out of this then Hamas knows every time we want something, we just go kill 1,200 people and take 250 hostages. Right. Go hide in Qatar. Go hide in, you know, basements and bunkers and, or excuse me, uh, tunnels and let our people suffer who we've admitted, right? Hamas admitted they have no interest in protecting their people. It's not their job, right? That's what they said. It's not their job. Came out and they said, we're going to do October 7th again and again and again. Okay. Th- this idea that uh, people say, Right. War, war is bad. War is bad. Okay. It's a problem with, with people nowadays, and especially the pro-Palestinian side. They have this idea of just using vague phrases or terminology, and it makes them sound so good. They, they feel good. It's like you're not saying anything. You're saying words that I can particularly agree with on a vague you know, point, but you're not saying anything, right? The problem that I have, this extends to a lot of politicians, sometimes there is two sides. And sometimes it's complex. But in the end, and this is what my dad taught me growing up, you have to sometimes pick a side and fight that side, even though you can understand. And this isn't, I'm not talking about Israel-Palestine per se, like, oh, pick a side. No, I'm talking about when there's complexity, you have to pick and stick with this. Because when you play the middle ground, and I'm talking about politicians now, right? Like Joe Biden. When you play this middle ground of like, oh, I don't want to upset this side. Oh, wait, 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 I don't want to upset this side. You end up pissing everyone off. You know why? Because you didn't make a decision. You didn't stick with what you were supposed to do with war, right? Some people, and I don't understand why people don't talk about this a lot. I see both sides kind of be like, yeah, yeah, war is bad, war is bad. Yeah, the the general thought, the vague thought of war is bad. Sure, I agree. Some people in this world do not need to exist. It's as simple as that, okay? And if they can be taking off this earth, I'm 100% for that. I 100% stand by that. Hitler did not deserve to exist. The Third Reich didn't deserve to exist. Okay, Hamas does not deserve to exist. ISIS did not deserve to exist. These people are bad. This idea, if they 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 hold out long enough and attack and they gain international, like oh, what was me? Look at me. And you're right. If Israel just pulls out, you are giving Hamas something, a reason. If the enemy knows that you're going to do this every single time, wouldn't they continue to do what they've done? They're going to, well, last time we did it, yeah, we were at war for, at this point, it'd be almost four months, right? If we stopped now, 
then let's say a year from now they attack again they're like yeah last time we did this we did one of the worst and most personal terrorist attacks in history to a tiny little state the size of new jersey and yeah it was four months of hell but we got over it now we could do it again if they know you're just going to react the same way right the, the, the disproportionate response everyone always talks about like oh it's not fair the disproportionate response good good do the disproportionate response because what they did was disproportionate. This idea that it should be proportionate, that's, so, that's just a silly argument. What, should Israel go in by three, 4,000 troops and go do mass rapings and, and beheadings, tie people up and burn them alive? No, that's just, that's ridiculous, right? Or should it be number for number? 1,200 Israelis, so maybe 1,200 Palestinians? No, you stop the evil and you stamp out the evil that did it and has said they're gonna do it again. It's not even like they learned. After it happened, they said they were going to do it again. A Palestinian research group found that 89% of Gazans side with the military wing of Hamas after October 7th. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So that needs, I mean, you just, you can't exist alongside that. You can't have peace with that. So war is going to happen. So in the modern context, a war starts with an act of war like that. But it could be piling or like, you know, piling up troops along the border. There have been conflicts in Gaza with that. Well, they had a lot of military-age males congregating near the border and blowing up, like, tires or trying to create smoke so they could get through the border, stuff like that. An act of war could be any of those things, but basically if you're going to block a waterway or you're going to try to broach the border or something like that, that can be an act of war. And then the other military will choose how to respond. And they'll either respond to, they can respond to both, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're, you are the expert here, but they can either respond immediately to, you know, not allow that attack to go through. And then they can sometimes do s deterrence where in Israel, they call it mowing the grass. So they send a hundred rockets, they take out a hundred targets. Okay, we're done. This was so egregious. Okay, well, no, we're just going to fully take out the government and they do that by, you know, they surrounded, they declared war, they surrounded Gaza City, they surround Jabalia, they go in. Can you talk a little bit about like what that operation like basically? Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your first part about um, immediate strike versus deterrence, I believe there should always be a, com a combination. Uh, but yes, I agree. Some things are, you tilt the scales depending on what it is that happened. The reason I say that is, I mean, even in the submarine force, we have exactly that, right? I served on fast attack submarines. That is more of a strike, okay? Like the first side of the scale, deterrence, right? We have what we call boomers, but they're ballistic missile submarines, guided missile submarines. And I've never served on one of those. Wish I did, because they're bigger. But, you know, I was, in a, I was in a smaller, tighter, like, metal tube. So boomers, or ballistic missile submarines, they have nuclear deterrence, okay? They don't really do missions. Like when I may or may not have been off the coast of X country doing maybe these things, they don't do that. I went to the North Pole twice. They don't do that. They just sit off the coast in different areas that I won't mention, right? And they have even two different crews. So that way when they pull in, you know, they do a little bit of maintenance, but the next crew takes it out immediately. Whereas in a fast attack submarine, it's just one crew. We pull in and we have to do some fixing. We're in until we fix it. 
So they have a more set schedule that they understand, which is kind of nice for them. And it helps them plan out, especially if you have family. Whereas fast attacks, I was pulling in one time after a three month, like kind of mini deployment. Captain gets on the 1MC, we're pulling out tomorrow. That's how it was on the fast attack submarines. So deterrence, right? They have nuclear warheads. And that's pretty much the deterrence by itself. Even if, let's say, a country somehow attacks America, we have a geological advantage, very big one. Okay, or let's see the uh, geographical uh, advantage, very big one. And the, let's say a country somehow does attack us, though, even then, not even in America, but off the coast somewhere in the world, we have some uh, power that can take out some small countries or, you know, big portion of a large country by itself. So that alone is. You know, there was some, by when President Obama was in office, there was that push to try to get rid of all nuclear weapons and worldwide. And it's, 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 it's so ridiculous. Uh, like, don't get me wrong, on paper, it sounds great. There's a, there's a lot of liberal ideas that sound so good on paper. And someone like me comes, says on a TikTok live, that's a dumb idea because I'm being a realist. All of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the warmonger. I'm the bigger, right? Uh, it's like, no, you're, you're, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Right? Uh, you think that... Countries like Russia, uh, North Korea, Iran, Iran. You think they're going to have the same values you or culture? No, not at all. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm not saying it's better. Mostly it's worse in my opinion, but I'm saying there's some things that are better, but it's just a different culture. Even here in America, right? Whether you're in Texas, Maine, Washington State, same exact country, completely different culture. Uh, No, you don't make deals with people like that. And that's the whole purpose of ballistic missile submarines. Deterrence, I think Israel should have exactly that. We should not, uh, uh, as pro-Israelis, not lose sight of making sure that there's a deterrence that doesn't just last now, but forever after this. But yes, there should be a... Someone throws a penny at you, you throw a brick back. Okay? I believe that. Okay? Hamas threw a very, very, very big penny on October 7th. So he, Israel should throw a very, very big brick right back at them to make sure that they can never launch an offensive from... Gaza ever again um what was your other question you asked about deterrence um, and when we go so like just basic military operations israel declared mm. war and then how does that look right usually mm-hmm. right air- yeah but i remember now air- so there's uh something in it oh sorry What's airstrikes up? and tanks and then they go in on the ground kind of right right so there's something called uh theater literally it's called theater uh in the military um, an area right, that we call theater. It's called staging the area. Just like if, I don't know if you ever did theater in school. You know, you stage the area. It's the same. We call it the same thing. And what people don't understand is that you have to stage a certain area before you do a ground operation. America did this in 1967 during the Six Day War. Israel was actually ready to enter in. Um into it was either when jordan had it with the west bank i think it might have been gaza when egypt was in control they were ready to enter in certain areas uh for about three four weeks before they actually did a a ground invasion people don't understand that because that's the part of history that you don't really talk about as much or maybe it's a quick sentence in a history book you forget about it but when you're living in the moment day by day you're checking the news these are things that you're like why, why, why is this? Why are they not doing, why are they, I remember when before Israel did this ground invasion, uh, this war, people were in my comment section is all alive. Oh, is Israel scared? Why don't they do a ground invasion? It's like, no, that's why your size losers. 
because your side will do a haymaker punch and you'll celebrate, you'll pass out your little candy and then that's it. You're done. You winded yourself and now you cry for the next three or four months. Well, Israel, they think about it, right? Because emotion would have said, ground invasion now, everyone go in, everyone civilians with guns go. No, that's emotion. Gotta think. Not saying that Israel didn't have some emotion they have every right to. October 7th was a terrible thing. But you have to think. Staging the area, they're looking for tunnels, right? We have to remember, they have the Mossad, the Shin Bet. They have a lot of intelligence they've gathered over the years. But they haven't been in Gaza since 2014, I believe. Right? That was the last ground invasion they did. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's all this... They have all this information that they've developed over the years. They've had third-party reporters who came out and they actually talked about some of the uh, hospitals like Al-Shifa and third-party reporters some years ago said, we've seen Hamas members in these hospitals and going in and out of tunnels. But as of this moment, we're we're going back before the ground invasion. Let's put our minds there. This moment, we don't know that as the Shabbat, Assad, but it's intelligence. So now that we're in a ground invasion, we need to go check these things out. We heard there's munitions in this building. We have intelligence that there's tunnels here. So Israel's going to be doing a lot of looking down and looking straight. Why would you want a a 10-story building where a Hamas member can be posted up or a PIJ or some terrorist, that's what they are, with rifles that can just shoot you while you're trying to fight? You don't want that shit. Why would you want things where there's munitions in buildings? No, airstrike it. Get rid of it. Set the area up. Tanks can't go. Gaza is one of the most densely populated areas in the entire region. One of the most, or it is the most in the region, one of the most in the entire world. Get get it out because they use these things. Hamas, they use guerrilla warfare tactics. They've embedded themselves within the society of Gaza. And it's unfortunate. It's a very sad thing because there's probably, definitely some people in Gaza that do not stand with that, right? But either because they're scared to come out, which... I, I wouldn't blame them for that. Or because maybe they're neutral about Like, I don't stand with them, but I don't care either, right? There's a small percentage of that. And yes, it's small. I don't care what people say, but there's a small percentage that do exist in those two groups. Most of the percentage, they support it, right? Whether they support it so much that they're willing to take hostages themselves and help Hamas, or they're part of Hamas themselves, there's a percentage. So you need to set, you need to get rid of that stuff. And people can't even say I'm wrong about that because look at the, what was it, 21 IDF soldiers? that just got killed, right? How did that happen? They rigged a building with explosives, waited for the IDF to get in position, and they shot it with an RPG, setting off a chain of explosions. So when I brought this up in my live, like, oh, they need to set the stage. People are like, you're just making excuses. You're just making excuses. Well, now look. (laughs) What I said would happen literally happened. If it wasn't a sniper, it's a booby trap, right? This is what they do. And I, I get it from their point of view. I don't get it because I don't agree with them, but I get it. They're fighting what they believe is an occupation force. I get it. That's how I'm able to know this is what they're going to do. Even though I'm not part of Hamas, it's just, it's just logic. And I think deep down some pro-Palestinians know that too, but they, they have to, they can't admit to that. So they'll be like, no, Hamas wouldn't do that. Like you have to set the stage and that's what it's called in the military. That's what we do. When we launch VLS, right? Vertical launch system is what VLS stands for on the submarines. It's pretty much, it's really cool. Let's say this is the water line and this is a submarine, okay? You don't even have to go. You go to periscope depth, which is, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but it's a certain amount of feet below the water line uh, where you can have the periscope go out barely. 
we can launch even below that actually we can launch uh missiles out and it creates a sort of bubble around the missile so the missiles don't get wet and then they pop out of the water and then they rocket up and then they go down and they start you know wiping out certain areas we did this i've had people come up on my live look how we got osama bin laden it was it was such a a tact uh, it was it's very um a, a big tactic that we did right uh, it was very nice it was in the middle of the night it was with seal team six yeah what do you think happened the decade before this right that's intelligence of course the idf has or the israeli military has special forces the special forces are exactly that they're special they make up a tiny percentage and by the way it's not like what you see in the movies right where where they're doing these sliding and they're by themselves and they're taking out like 50 people sometimes they take out 10 people they die, unfortunately right you don't get me wrong very good at what they do we used to transport seals these guys were wild but they always have support it's the same thing when you see this super cool aircraft carrier right in a movie when you see it, badass, big guns, they got all this stuff. You know what's below it? Me and the submarine. Destroyers are behind it. There's always support, and people don't understand that. They're like, well, why doesn't the IDF just send in special forces and not do airstrikes? You're, you have no idea what you're talking about. They would lose all their special forces immediately. Yes, they're really good at what they do, but it's like they would still die if they went up against possibly tens of thousands of Hamas combatants. Yeah, you can't send in special forces outnumbered. And you also, it's ridiculous to think, like, so you fight a war. Well, let's go to this first. So you set the stage, like you said, and then they ground right on the ground. And then they mean they win operational control. So, like, the best way it's been explained to me is they push in. And then once they start getting pushed back, like, you know, shots come in the other way at them. They fight back. And then those people either retreat or are killed and then you just do that until you have control over the city right right yeah it's a it's a slow burn uh well relatively slow sometimes i mean even in in firefights i mean i've talked to some friends who've been in those and you know sometimes they like have five minutes right and that could, that's a very long time when you're having bullets come at you right you have to, I mean, every military has different strategies. Sometimes you kind of surround the outside areas and push your way in, sometimes directly pushing forward. Uh, I know at the beginning of the ground invasion, they, over time, split Gaza right in half, right? They made it all the way to the sea. They started surrounding Gaza City in different areas. But you, you pretty much said it exactly right. You have to push your way through, and sometimes you start to go through, and then all of a sudden you have hundreds of people that you didn't know were there that are there now and you have to uh hopefully survive that but fight back excuse me in time you will slowly push your way through or slowly surround an area but you want operational control and after you have the operational control you can start to then do all of this intelligence that has been fed to you right because you're not going to be well in the middle of firefights looking for tunnels or verifying there's munitions in this building or that building right and then so that's why when you see them putting up an israeli flag in a certain area like a government building that doesn't mean that israel wants to make that israel now necessarily sometimes it does like we've seen russia do that with ukraine and stuff but it just signifies because that's a big fight that these soldiers are going through it's like to boost morale like we have control over this area now here's this 
flag. We have control. Hamas doesn't control this anymore. And now we move on to the next fight, right? Yeah, this idea that uh, Israel wants Gaza is uh, it's laughable. I think that Israel would love to have security control Gaza and make sure nothing like October 7th ever happened again. Israel's official claim right now is that they have no intention of occupying Gaza. And that's what we have to go with. You pro-Palestinians who pretend like they have this uh, secret spy ear in the secret rooms. They're like, no, I know what they want. Look, if Israel wanted Gaza so bad, why would they have taken this long, weird route, right? 1967 is when Gaza went from the control of Egypt. <laughs> By the way, never been Palestine, guys. I know crazy thoughts. Never been Palestine. Even when the Arabs had control, they had no intention of giving it to you. Just fun fact. 1967, during the Six-Day War, and they took Gaza. It wasn't just Gaza. We have to remember, they took the Sinai as well. And it wasn't until really 1982 when it was fully given back to Egypt, right? From deals that were signed. But they had Gaza literally surrounded. Because today, you see Gaza's uh, southern border, right? The Rafa crossing is in Egypt, right? So little parts, Egypt and border. No, no, no. They had Gaza surrounded. If they really wanted Gaza, wouldn't it have just been the easiest just to push them out then and just taken it? Or let's say that didn't work out. Different prime minister. Let's just, let's just give an excuse for a second. Okay, in 2005, when... Israel, they had four settlements in Gaza, right? About 9,000 Jews, 8,500 to 10,000, right? They forced them out of Gaza, withdrew completely from Gaza and gave it to the Palestinian people. And they dragged them pretty much across the border. A lot of them didn't want to leave. But between it not being relatively as historically important to Israel, right? Even if you go with religious study, Gaza was a place that was occupied by the Philistines, who were, you know, Greek merchants, pirates, really. Uh, they, they, they took out um, many of the bodies that were buried there, the Jewish people that were buried there. They took them out uh, before they withdrew in 2005. Uh, when I was in Israel, which was days before the October 7th attack, uh, I went to the Museum of Israel, and there was a mosaic there with King David. That's when I was reading the, the little history of that mosaic was in Gaza. Right? They took it out, and now it's at the Museum of Israel. In Hebrew letters, it says David. Uh, between that and also, there was a lot of attacks on the Jewish um, people in Gaza that were, that were living there. And it cost a lot of money to protect them, right? Why didn't they just, if they really wanted Gaza, why didn't they just move more settlers in, right? That's what you say they're doing anyways, right? They're occupying, they're moving all these people in, they're kicking us out, they're killing millions of us. Obviously, that's not true. <laughs> Why didn't they just move them in instead of moving out? Like, because, yeah, would it have been negative attention? Yeah, not as bad as social media age. But you'd think they'd do that anyways. Right. So why wouldn't they just move them in? Why would they wait, you know, almost 20 years now, right? 2005 was 19, uh, 19 years ago. Why would they wait 18 years, 19 years for there to be a slaughter of Jewish people on the worst uh, day for Jewish people in terms of fatality since the Holocaust. Wait for that and then do this huge, I mean, this negative PR game of pushing them all now as you think they're doing, right? It just doesn't make any sense. They can't think logically. There are no critical thinking skills whatsoever. 
But it, it like that's one of the weirder arguments I see is it's like, well, they put up an Israeli flag, so they want the land. And it's like, no, like that's what happens when <laughs> you make, get operational control. Like, I think they did that long before modern warfare. I don't know. Like, that's it's what you do. I don't know. The pro-Palestinians put up Palestinian flags on monuments during their protests in America. Does that mean Palestine wants America? Is, is that what you're saying? Because that's we have to remember these people and you're the creator of this. They're 67.9. So, you know, we have to remember. I am the creator of this. <laughs> so, OK, so that's kind of like the basics of what they're doing. And then once Israel has operational control, they're just going to keep doing that over and over again until Hamas either surrenders or they have no weapons left and they have to surrender or until the leadership is killed. Like that's kind of pride's gonna pride's going to kill the trend that is the pro-Palestinian movement um, because pride is what makes you know these are for the people that are deep down they're pro-Palestinian but maybe they don't side particularly with what happened on October 7th. A lot of them do. They just put on a mask. But I'm sure there's some, there's, there's some out there that are like, I don't like that way, but I do agree with resistance. Pride makes you feel like if you can't just agree with all of it and do whatever the pro-Palestinian trend is pushing you towards, telling you what to think, what to feel, then that means you're pro-Israeli. I've had one person since October 7th. One. I won't say her name. She came up. She lived in the West Bank for about a decade. She's Palestinian and she doesn't stand with a lot of the pro-Palestinian. She's pro-Palestinian in the sense she's Palestinian. She doesn't believe that Israel is the biggest problem for Palestinians. She does have her gripes about Israel, but she thinks that the, the leadership, she believes that the pro-Palestinian movement puts so much effort into just Israel, 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 and they do not talk about things that are actually affecting them at all. And she came up, and that's the, that is the most fair statement ever. She still probably doesn't agree with my ideologies. I'm very pro-Israel. But she, I couldn't argue with her because she was being completely fair. The amount of comments and people came up to give her so much hate. You're a liar. You, I bet you're not even Palestinian. They start speaking Arabic to her. She speaks perfect Arabic. Right back. She starts screaming at them. I don't speak Arabic, but I could just, I can imagine what they were saying back and forth to each other. And then she shows her ID. She has a Palestinian authority ID, the green ID. She has it. She shows it. And she covered, you know, her card information, but she shows that it's her. And they still, they, 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 it's like watching something short circuit. They couldn't comprehend it. And they're like, no, no, no. If you're not an extremist, essentially, you're an Israeli, right? They believe me. Who I've, <laughs> I've showed my DNA test. So, I mean, I'm mostly Italian and Spanish. You know how many times I get, no, you're obviously Jewish. You're, I've gotten, I'm Israeli, like with... I guess, I don't know, my accent. <laughs> I, I got in, I work for the Mossad. I'm an actor. I get paid money. I do all this stuff. It's like, even when I was in the military, I just got out in May, right? And I've been doing this for over three years now. So, you know, the math, I was in the military. When I was in the military, no, I wasn't. I was actually a paid Israeli Mossad actor. It's it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. They can't comprehend. So pride's going to be their downfall because just because... You can come out and say, you know what, we're losing as pro-Palestinians. We're losing because we have um, gripes that we believe are are correct. But there's some things we need to focus on that we're not. But it doesn't mean you have to start waving the Israeli flag. It doesn't mean you have to start being pro-Israeli. But this is why I'm never going to be afraid of the pro-Palestinian side. Uh, or Israel should never be afraid because they're not willing 
to change it all because it's a, it's a pride thing. If they, the 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 day they came they come out as a, as a group, not as individuals, but as a, as a general group, even 40 percent of them, and say, you know what, we need to change if we want to do better. That's maybe the day that that maybe pros really should expect to change on the pro Palestinian side. But until then, I, I wouldn't expect anything. The BDS movements. I was just talking about this the other day and uh, I was looking at one of my old videos that I made like a year ago and I was like the BDS movement when it started Israel's GDP has almost quadrupled since the BDS movement so to string right that was one of the first real big hits of the BDS movement they had a, a factory in the West Bank they hired many Jews and Arabs who worked in peace side by side in fact they put that on their boxes this product was made by Arabs and Jews working in peace side by side the BDS couldn't have it. How dare Jews and Arabs work in peace side by side? So they protest it, boycott it, right? The SodaStream company, you know what SodaStream did? They're like, yeah, okay, whatever. They closed the factory and they just opened it up in Israel proper. And so what happened? Jews still work there. Many Arabs, they all got fired. And even on top of that, you know what SodaStream did? They tried to send a bus back and forth every day to pick up the Arabs who did work there. But now... It's much farther now because it's in Israel proper. They would pick them up, send them across the checkpoint and to go to work every day. But over time, they all ended up leaving because it was just too much of a hassle to add hours on your day when you're already working. So they all got fired. Guess what? SodaStream's bigger than ever. They're richer than ever. Israel's GDP is bigger than ever. And all those Arabs, fired. No jobs, right? I mean, maybe they got some shitty job now somewhere else, but they don't have that job anymore. That's what... That's what pride does to your movements is because you think, oh, we got it. We, we shut down the factory. You're not thinking. It's just like October 7th. This is, this is the pro-Palestinian culture, right? Big hits. They celebrate. They cheer. But you didn't do anything but the opposite. You tried to scare Jews away from Israel. You brought more of them back into Israel than ever. There's three, 400,000, somewhere around that number of reservists who have come back home to serve in the military. You you just do the opposite. So until the day that the Palestinians can actually see this and change. Well, and that, that pride is why it's going to have to be forced upon them. They're not going to accept it willingly. You brought up an interesting point when you said um, resistance. So we just kind of laid out what, it, like we just kind of laid out very basics of like war and like how that works that like kind of and like all of that we didn't even go into like there's like man system and stuff like that which goes into all of this like they whatever they like have that all figured out it's very organized how does resistance differ from that and since you served in the navy are you a terrorist because apparently everyone who fights in a war is a terrorist now or the idf is terrorist so can you talk a little yeah no of course i can a lot of people in the military actually have a little bit of a different thought on this, and I don't care if anyone who served uh, in the military disagrees with this, they're lying. We've all kind of had that talk or thought. That other guy that we're fighting against thinks he's right. I think I'm right. It's totally okay to think that. Uh, a lot of very, very proud Americans who maybe never served in the military, but they have such a huge support for us, which I appreciate them very much. They're like, no, 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 no. But it, it, it's okay to have that thought. The 
way I define terrorism, right, is, I mean, the general definition, when you, like, maybe Google it, I don't have it up, but it will probably say something along the lines of, like, um, you're causing to inflict terror on a people generally for a political or religious means, right? That's pretty vague, right? Because how do you inflict terror on a people? Well, bombs do that, whether it's on a vest who a person's wearing or if it's a missile coming from a place you didn't even see where it shot from. That inflicts terror. For political or religious means, well, that's almost always the case to use missiles or bombs or explosives, right? It's either generally religious if it's religious extremists or it's political if it's a government. So then everyone's a terrorist? No, no, no. I think terrorism must be systemic, systematic, right? So people say to me all the time on my lives, well, I can condemn Hamas. Can you condemn the IDF? I said, why would I condemn the IDF? Why would I condemn the one group that is stance between the Jewish people and death, right? They are the one, <laughs> everyone, right? Including even me, we're allies, right? We stand with Israel, but I'm not there actually physically defending, right? Don't get me wrong. I love what I do. And if I can educate one person, I see that as a win, but I'm not there. The IDF soldiers are doing, I it's amazing. Okay, and I, I I pray for their safety constantly. This is why would I condemn that group, right? They, they didn't start this. Well, with the IDF, uh, they they they're killing people. Okay, what's the context? But the IDF, I I saw this one person, this one interview where this IDF member he 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 actually uh, raped this this one girl. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. That's not systemic, right? If an IDF member does something bad it's an individual does that mean i'm excusing it no i think that individual should be punished to the fullest extent and yeah there's times where israel probably should have punished someone more i agree with that but they get punished they get looked at they get investigated but hamas member does this they get promoted and when hamas members have actually come out and they're pissed at their leadership right there was that interrogation where they said their leadership failed us because they told us, quote unquote, have fun, right? When they were talking about leading up to October 7th. There was pamphlets that were found that told them how to say in Hebrew things like take off your pants. Okay, and then a lot of forensic analysis and testimonies have come out, including Omas interrogation, admitting to rapings, burnings, behaviors, stuff like that. So when you think of, back to the question of like, who's a terrorist? This isn't an individual, like, it's not like 95% of the Hamas members were only trying to attack military installations and there was like 1% to 5% that straight off and started doing bad things. No, that's who they are. Right? They're rats, they're terrorists because it's systemic. That's the difference. It's systemic, it's systematic. IDF members, 99% serve, and I'm talking about before this October 7th, right? Because now we have reservists coming in having to help. 99%, they do two maybe three years they're gonna hold a gun maybe shoot at a shooting range for qualifications i assume it's like america in the american military we do qualifications and that's it they don't ever get into a conflict Hamas members if they do right with this attack or what they want right because i'm sure they want to attack every day right they do with rockets it's all of them this is this is what they want they didn't want to kill just IDF members, like only attack the government buildings, only attack the military. No, no, no. They want to 
attack everyone, whether it was a child, a woman, a civilian, a military member, they saw everyone the same. That call that really, really got to me was that call of that guy calls his father and says, I killed 10 Jews, not Zionists, not Israelis. I killed 10 Jews. His mom gets on the phone, tells him, all right, just be careful. Well, at first she says, okay, all right, all right, that's enough. Come on back. And he said, what do you mean come on back? This is this is our mission. We go until, you know, uh, they're a shaheed or I guess maybe gets arrested. He said, I'm going to keep going, right? And so then she says, like, so this is this is in their culture. This is this is what they want. Uh, Hamas talks about this all the time. It's in their original charter. They do not want a two-state solution. They do not have any intention of recognizing Israel. Glenn Mashal just came out uh, three or four days ago, give or take. And he just did an interview and he said he has no interest in the two-state solution. Because right? I, I, I found it funny is that after October 7th, there's so much talk about people being like, we need to get to a two-state solution. I think Kama said something about it. They don't even want it. Why do we have this talk? Why is Israel put under this weird double standard you don't put under anyone else in the entire world where Hamas attacks? Well, that's Israel's responsibility and that's their fault. Oh, now they're attacking back and responding. Well, they have a right to do that, but it's their responsibility to make sure that it's done this way or that way. What about Hamas, the people that are also, whether they're a terrorist organization or not, or a government of who they're fighting and the area of where they're fighting? No, 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 but they're a terrorist. Oh, now we have to figure out how do we get past this? Well, that's going to be on Israel, right? Oh, who's going to govern Gaza after? Well, we'll put that on Israel. Oh, when, what are we going to do in the future? Are we doing a two-state solution, one-state? Well, we'll put that on Israel. Interesting. So I get told by pro-Palestinians all day, listen to this. I get told all the time by pro-Palestinians every day that Israel's a terrorist group, right? I don't stand with Hamas, I promise, but Israel's a terrorist group too. Okay, interesting. Why do you put so much responsibility and look to Israel to do everything then? Well, because they're, well, they're, 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 you know, aren't they supposed to be better? But I thought you said they were the same, right? I know that they're not, but you think they're the same. So why is it that even if it's subconscious that you look to Israel to do all of these things, yet the only blink of an eye you'll give towards the Palestinian governments, right, whether it's the Palestinian Authority or it's Hamas, the only blink you'll give to them is that, well, I don't stand with them, though. I don't, I don't, I don't stand with them. Okay. That's, that's like a, a vague way of not answering. This. Totally. Totally. Well, I think that brings me to my last question which is kind of a long one maybe, but so we kind of laid out like what a normal operation looks like. And basically resistance is just what they did. They went and had fun and whatever. And then they do what they do till they get killed or arrested. Or some of them made it back and they were promised an apartment and $10,000. Well, that apartment building's probably gone, but, um, you know, um, if they could bring back a hostage, it was for that. But then the last thing we talk about is like laws of armed combat. And that's kind of the last thing is like, there's supposed to be the UN keeps tweeting this. There's rules to war. And you brought up in your, what you were saying is like, you know, had they just attacked military or government buildings, that's one thing that's fine. So that is kind of generally understood in war. You're supposed to attack 
those buildings. Now, when Hamas is an insurgent group, they embed themselves within civilian areas. So they put all their weapons reserves under hospitals or under apartment buildings or something like that so that Israel can't blow them up preemptively because then they would be also blowing up an apartment building or a hospital. So can you talk a little bit about kind of like what you were saying with um, if you get found guilty of doing something wrong in the IDF or the U.S. military, like what does that process look like? Because it's completely different than if you get caught doing those things with Hamas. Like you said, they're promoted. Right. Well, um, I mean, the general uh, thing we have in the United States military is called the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, right? Um, I believe that everyone knows Article 192. Been, been almost years since I've been in, but Article 192 is that general, like, you know, disobeying a law order. There's a, there's a lot of articles. I mean, there, there's a lot. I, I definitely do not have them all memorized. I don't think anyone does. Um, but you essentially, there's two different types in the U.S. Navy of getting in trouble beyond just general, like, uh, uh, getting talked to by chiefs or something. There's what's called a captain's mass, and then there's what's called court-martial. Okay, court-martial is generally for more serious crimes. Um or sometimes it can be if you deny a captain's mask, you can request a, a court-martial, which is very similar to a trial. It's obviously a military trial, and it has a little bit of different rules, but it's it's similar. Uh, captain's mask is generally what you see, right? Captain's mask is, it's, it's how it sounds, it's with the captain of your boat, ship, whatever, uh, unit. The captain can bring you down one rank, right? There's one time I saw him bring in someone down two ranks, but that's because the person was on a probation with his first rank, and then he got in trouble again. So was the probation brought him down one, and then the captain's mass brought him down another. But that's generally how it works. Court-martial, you can be an E9, which is the highest uh, enlisted rank, um, or O10, right? And there, there used to be uh, fleet admirals, but anyways, that was back in like World War II. Uh, they can be brought down also. Uh, so court martial can do a lot more damage, but like I said, it's 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 a more trial base, right? So to answer your question, if you get in trouble, you're essentially going to be charged. There's an investigation, right? They'll have a third party like officer, or sometimes it's an officer if you're on command, but it'll be like a junior officer and send to lieutenant age. He does an investigation, asks the appropriate parties, sends this up to the captain. Then you go talk to chiefs. They give a recommendation, then you go to XOI, or you talk to the XO, he's the second in charge, below the captain, and then he will go, and then he'll go to the captain, and then sometimes the captain says, you know what, I'm not charging you, or I'll put you on a probation or something. Sometimes he's like, no, you're going to get half months pay for two months, you're going down, let's say you're an E5, go down to E4, and uh, you get put on restriction, where you're essentially bound to the base, or the boats, the, the ship, and you can't leave for two months. So there's consequences to doing things wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's definitely consequences. Also, fun fact, double jeopardy, which doesn't exist, right? And that's that's supposed to be like a thing that you don't do in civilian. That doesn't exist in the, in the military, right? If you get in trouble, like, let's say you get a DUI, yeah. the civilian courts want to try you. The military doesn't think, oh, well, you've already been tried in civilian courts. Oh, they'll get your ass oh, too. Really? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So the military, 
sometimes the civilian courts will know the military is already going to punish them and the military punishes much harsher generally so they'll use sometimes they'll be like they got it but if the crime is serious enough now you're going to get double charged so that's interesting so yeah you just can't really you can't compare a terrorist group and then like Hamas too yeah, Hamas is not going to a captain's mass <laughs> or court martial, and they're not sitting with a piece of paper like, so it says here that you raped this this girl, you burned this person alive. Uh Ahmed, what what's up? Like that, that doesn't that doesn't happen. That's 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 what they that's what they went to do. They went to instill terror on the people of Israel. That's that was the yeah. point. I mean the weirdest story I heard from an IDF soldier was that they got punished for doing things among Hamas members. So there was a situation where a woman, a woman and a man had relations outside of marriage and they did their procedure, whatever that may be. And they said, well, the man's fine. He's, he's cleared. Nothing's wrong with him. But you, woman, are going to be the first ever female suicide bomber in Hamas history because that, you had relations outside of marriage. So they have maybe a little bit more of a strict punishment, I guess, in that regard. But. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, even on October 7th, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a report that came out um, that showed there was a 10-year-old, right, that he wasn't doing anything, but he was pointing, telling terrorists, civilians are over there. They're over there. It's a 10-year-old. Saw Mia Shem, right? She came out. She talked about how she didn't need for a few days and, a child of a civilian, right? right? They, they have nothing to do with Hamas. That's what we keep hearing. Pretends to give her food candy, right? Open bag. And when she reaches out for it, closes it, laughs, goes away. This is a child. And it's an unfortunate reality, but I'm going to say a harsh truth because, you know, we're not on TikTok. I feel like I have a little bit more freedom now, right? This is a harsh truth that people don't understand is this idea that the Palestinian people are just completely separated from Hamas is so ridiculous i do not buy that shit even for a second right do i do i believe that there's some palestinian people that don't stand with the house absolutely yes there's some palestinian people but it's like if i said humans have 10 fingers and then there's that one guy well uh my friend has nine okay shut up shut up the general gist is about 90 percent of palestinians stand with hamas right there was uh Three different polls that have been ran since October 7th, even right before October 7th, that shows an increase um, in Hamas support, both in Gaza and the West Bank, specifically East Jerusalem. Uh, a new poll just got released uh, some days ago. Uh, it was by an Arab research group, and they said specifically that uh, there was Libya was actually the highest that thought most positively about October 7th, but Palestine, West Bank specifically, in, uh, in this poll, they didn't interview Gaza, and so it was West Bank. It was about a 90% positive outlook on October 7th. Whereas in the United States, you and I both did a video about this. It was interesting to see the young demographic just last month, exact same poll, same standards. They had a just under 51% in support of Hamas, just over 49% in support of Israel. That was last month. This month, 57% in support of Israel. That's a big change, right? 1%, I'd be like, okay, that's interesting, but 7% in one month. 
that's a very interesting change amongst specifically the youngest demographic. Obviously, the older demographic still pro-Israel. They stayed pro-Israel. What is it? I want to know what is it that's this huge disconnect, as you see in the Arab countries and the Muslim majority or Muslim controlled countries, they're getting more radical. As you look at since October 7th, the polls from October 7th to today, they're increasing their support of radical Islam and Islamic extremist groups like Hamas. Whereas the American young, right, which has always been the most split between Israel and Hamas or Israel and Palestine, right? They're starting to, they, they like, just before October 7th, they did a they did a poll, I think it was in March or April of 2023. And for the first time in history, Democrats, specifically the younger demographic, voted in favor of understanding the Palestinian cause more. Then after October 7th, it shifted back pro-Israel, right? And then as people kind of moved on from the news, they did more polls. Then all of a sudden, just the young demographic went from pro-Israel to now it's like centered, right? Like I said, the last month one was just a little bit pro-Hamas, too. It wasn't even Palestine-Hamas. And then all of a sudden, next month comes by, and now they're just barely, but still, pro-Israel. So what's making the Arab and the Muslim-majority countries shift to being more radical, and what's making the young in America... We're talking about a Harvard (laughs) study, too. We know how they are. What's making them start to say, you know what... Now, there's a few things that I think, obviously, I don't know. They could have been like, you know what? The more I'm learning and stuff, I still understand Palestinian rights, but I don't I don't know if I can side with this stuff because what has happened this past month that's interesting with the pro-Palestinian protest? Well, I've noticed they started to get a little bit more radical. Why is that? Oh, you notice they're also starting to lose a lot of ground, right? There was some places, hundreds of thousands of people every week on the same day week by week, protesting free Palestine. Now it's starting to get to tens of thousands. And then maybe instead of every week, it's every other week. And now it's, you know, you still see, oh, there's a big protest right there. They've been planning that one for months, like the one in D.C. that they just did. That one's been planned for months, right? So it was big. But there's certain areas that protests have either canceled altogether or they've just dwindled down to very small. So now you're starting to see they're tagging up veterans' uh, cemeteries. Right, they're tagging up memorials. They're 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 putting sometimes anti-Semitic, uh, spray painting anti-Semitic stuff. Sometimes it's just free Palestine or Palestine, and so now they're starting to damage and deface. Now they're starting to block highways, right? Annoying people. They're starting to deface Christmas trees and attack Christians. Right? Like, what? Because you want to make yourself miserable? That means Christians now. I'm I'm not Christian, but the hell, what the hell does a Chris? Christians who are just trying to celebrate, right, the birth of their Lord and Savior, right? What does that have to do? Putting up a Christmas tree, I think it was maybe in New York or Chicago, it was in a square. What does that have to do in, in, in bothering these young and older and fine people? What does that have to do with your cause? You're just pissing people off. And I, I get it because they are at least smart enough to know this gets attention. This gets us back on the news because either you have so many people week by week or you have to do something that will hit the news. So maybe the young people, to go back to the why is it 57%, maybe they're like, oh, maybe there's some stuff I don't like about it. Maybe they're getting educated. Maybe some of them are just moving on and the ones that are left are the ones that were already pro Israel. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know, but it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon we're seeing here. I just think that like as we 
I don't know. I even like my brother's college age. He's 18 and he will say he'll say things to me. Like he said to me the other day, he sent me a TikTok of some ex-CIA guy asking about what's the all the different intelligence agencies. And the guy was just blatantly anti-Semitic. He was on Lex Friedman's podcast and he was like, Mossad will just stop at nothing to get their people back. My brother said, well, I don't understand that. Like they'll kill people and the CIA won't kill people. My brother said, I don't really think that that's, or he was like, I don't get this because I heard that Israel knew about October 7th and didn't do anything. And I was like, yeah, th- we're, we're not. So I feel like, you know, he just doesn't pay attention. You know, he doesn't have a connection to this besides me. So, and he can ask me and like figure it out. But I think that those things just like permeate and like on a college campus or something. And now it's dying down more. And he is smart enough to like have the realization of like okay well like i don't think that Mossad really is that different from the cia or any you know worse but no no listen it's a, the 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 problem is is that especially the younger generation okay which is going to be the ones on the college campuses they grew up in a different age than even myself i mean i'm relatively i'm 31 i'm not old but still completely different generations i grew up learning technology coming out right i remember when there wasn't much technology we would go outside every night when the light turned on in the street lights it was time to come in for dinner uh but i also remember technology coming out so i'm good with technology but this generation they were born into technology which means there's a lot of advantages to that they get smarter quicker but or excuse me they get knowledge quicker they get information quicker Smarter, we'll see in time, right? Wisdom and and it's, it's a bit different. It comes with experience and intelligence. But what I'm getting at is the younger generation, I saw the survey, or sorry, not a survey, an article, it said the younger generations actually use utilize TikTok search more than they are Google. Interesting. TikTok and Instagram, social media's, Absolutely, it can be a great tool. I don't like when people are like, oh, it's so dumb that people use it. No, it's fine that people use it, but it should be used as a tool. It shouldn't be used as your main source or especially not your only source. Watching a TikTok video is the equivalent to a documentary or reading a book or something with a lot more information. It's the equivalent to doing that as, or it's equivalent to reading a headline instead of the whole article. You can get good information from it. You get it quick, you get it now, it doesn't take a lot of time. But you don't understand everything. So with the the Mossad or Israel knew about October 7th beforehand, that's just making it quick, right? There was over a year before October 7th, there was some reports that, um, what do they call it? Operation Jericho Wall, I believe. That's what they deemed it or named it. And there were some reports that said, hey, they're starting to do some exercises. And then they said, all right, yeah, we'll just keep an eye on it. Because we have to remember, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's very easy to, after the fact, be like, oh, they knew about this. Like, okay, you understand that they do constant monitoring of this stuff, and they get constant threats, and they hear constant threats. Constantly. I mean, America does. You think a country that's in the middle of a bunch of countries don't like her isn't? I remember when I was uh, stationed in San Diego, we would constantly hear stuff con- all the time. Russia's off the coast of San Diego. No, I'm not even kidding. And we'd have to send people or send a submarine out there to go check it out. And I'm not going to tell you if those were real threats or not, but seriously, we would get that stuff all the time. And this is San Diego, not Israel in the Middle East. So they get stuff all the time. 
So it's so easy to, after the fact, to look at the one that actually went through and being like, oh, but they got a warning. Okay, whatever, dude. Anyways, so that's not what bothers me, though, that Israel said, okay, we'll monitor it. What actually does bother me that I think Israel, or the, the, the head of the Gaza security at the time, needs to own up for is that about four months before October 7th, it came up again in a veteran analysis. She came to her leader, uh, Gazan security, brought it up again and said, hey, this is kind of like the thing from you know, seven, eight months ago. And he ignored that one. And I do think that was a problem. But I don't actually think it even went to Netanyahu, which again, problem. But it wasn't. People were like, oh, Netanyahu knew. And it's like, look, I'm not the biggest fan of BB, but he didn't actually know about that. Um, and if people want to it, uh, yeah, hear go more ahead. about intelligence failures and why this is an intelligence failure, listen to episode five of my podcast because I had a former military counterintelligence officer on and he talked about that woman would be considered a Cassandra. It's very interesting. Um, I made my brother go listen to that episode, so I'll just plug it here. Cool. Yeah, That's good. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. I've listened to three of your episodes now. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, I'll go check that out. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. They're, they're great. Um, yeah, the re- most recent ones I listened to were Keeper Hammers and Renzi's. They were great. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, uh, this is exactly right. Look, it was, a, it was an intelligent failure, but it's this idea that like, oh, they totally knew this was going to happen. It was, they wanted it to happen and blah, blah, blah. It's like, listen, and you guys talk out of both sides of your mouth. First off, Israel's already doing this. And now you're saying, no, they need an excuse to do it. It's, it's, they'll say whatever they need to, to push their agenda. And it's like, sometimes they end up contradicting each other so badly. Right now I'm reading, uh, by Benny Morris, uh, the 30 year genocide. I've already read a book by Benny Morris, my second book that I'm going to read on him. Uh, but this one's not particularly about Israel. It's about the Armenian genocide uh, and how it was deeper than just, you know, the two years that if you Google it, it'll say. So that's why it's called the 30-year genocide and how the Ottoman Empire treated uh, the Greeks, the Armenians, and the Christian populations. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty in-depth, which means, let's be honest, kind of boring. But I'm sticking with it because I want to start to expand my knowledge a little bit outside of Israel. Um and Middle Eastern conflict, because even if it's not Israel, it all relates and it all connects a little bit. And I've had a lot of um, uh, Muslims that will come up and they will deny the Armenian genocide. And I find it very interesting that they will scream the exact same stuff that was being screamed at. Now, there were Turks, obviously, the Ottomans, but they're Muslims. And even still to this day, a lot of them. The Turkish government denies it. They 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 cut the number by uh, one fifth. They 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 will uh, they they cut the number five times the amount of what the actual amount of deaths there were. They'll say, oh, they were Armenian invaders, and so we we were just defending ourselves, man. We we're just defending ourselves. Yeah, I, there's uh three European men who witnessed women being uh, uh um beaten while on their backs on the ground, just women. Right? They weren't soldiers or fighting. They were just beaten to death. And I uh, I find it interesting. Or, you know, the common thing we get. Just, oh, Muslims and Jews lived in so much peace. Interesting. I have an entire list that goes in depth about every single attack since 622 to all the way to today of Muslims' attacks on Jews. And sometimes Christians are on that list too because sometimes they were attacking both. There's over 50 massacres just until I got to 1980, right? Not even including October 7th. 50 massacres, not killings, what actually constitute legally a massacre against the Jewish people. The Yellow Star 
that designates you as a Jew, right? Oh, you guys think that the Nazis created that? Well, they they did. They put that. They that's what they put on Jewish people. That came from Muslims. The Muslim treatment of Jewish people. It would make them wear that, right? Yellow signifiers to claim that they're Jewish. Listen, saying that there is peace. I think you said this on on one of your episodes. But I, I loved it. Saying that there's pieces is like a, a racist white dude back in the time of slavery. When slavery ends, he's like, yeah, there was a lot of peace back then, right? Because it was, it wasn't really any fights. We had our crops done. I treated those guys pretty well. Like it's, yeah, of course you think those peace because you were in control and everyone else had to be complacent and everyone else had to live as second class. So you believe there's peace. And now you try to cry that today like oh well, that's happening to us and it's like okay and so i break down the differences and like no 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 keep it vague please keep it vague because then i sound like a guy right but once you get into the depths and the context it's like, oh it's insane at all and so that's why i said at the very beginning of this podcast to bring it back full circle before we end the people that scream this stuff the most are the ones that actually did it and benefited from it it's just very well, interesting and also to wrap it up thank you again for coming on but as long as we have people denying these things and still doing them, we're going to have war because we're going to have to stop. So hopefully this gives people a little bit of an impact, uh, like you guys got to know Nick more than you knew him from TikTok. And also hopefully now you have a little bit better of a basis of understanding what a war is, why it's different from an, a terrorist group, and you can kind of go from there. Thank you again. Um, I'll have all of your stuff yeah, I'll have all of your stuff linked in the description. Is there anything else you want to promote? Uh, just, um, yeah, a couple things. Uh, one, I mean, God bless the IDF and any IDF members who are listening to this. Um, you know, you're in my prayers all the time. So, you know, and thank you guys for all the support I get on TikTok. I know I get banned a lot. Uh, so people are always like, why don't you have more followers? I was like, well, I used to. <laughs> um, it's okay uh, because I, you know, created this little community uh, that I, I love all, all the support I get. And, you know, to the IDF, continue doing exactly what you need to. I mean, disproportionate response and do everything that you can to get these hostages back and to make sure that Hamas can never, ever launch an offensive ever again for Gaza. Um, and that's it. Obviously, with the 67.9 stuff, I know you guys love it so much. Uh, a lot of the money's on hold because it's a new business, right? I am going to be donating that money once it gets released from PayPal to Zaka and United Hetzalah. If you guys want, if you go to my link in my bio or even Hebrew Amber, he has the exact same link when you set up a store. All the proceeds are going to those two organizations. Um, so uh, just go in there. You'll for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to have the sweatshirts, women's t-shirts, unisex t-shirts, and also the mug as well, both white and black. Perfect. That's it. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. Anytime.